Hi, Kim. Hi, Knut. Wow. A lot of stuff happening in the UN Global Compact Network Norway lately. Yes, but we're only going to talk about one thing. On Monday, the 26th, we have the uh, the Nordic Future of Business Summit with Sanda Uyambo, our uh, CEO globally, uh, with the Minister of Sustainability in Norway. We have politicians from all the Nordic countries. And we have some really good uh, keynote speakers such as Robert Strand from the University of Berkeley in California talking about sustainable Vikings and sustainable capitalism. So, wow. Uh, something to look forward to. Absolutely. But now we're going straight over to today's podcast episode, I think. Yeah, and I think this is a highlight as well. We were lucky enough to speak to two prominent uh, people. I would say two leading leading. St- Stars, perhaps? Leading yeah, figures. Yeah. figures uh, who yeah. did we talk to, Kim? We, are, uh, we talked to world, the head or the CEO president of World Economic Forum. Who is he? Børge Brende, former Minister of Foreign Affairs in, uh, in Norway. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, you know, He's been in leading positions for the last, I would say, 20 years, basically. He comes from the Conservative Party in Norway. Um, and he's now... Uh, yeah, he's been in the in, in that chair since he left the position as a Minister of Foreign Affairs. And he is talking to whom? He's talking to the CEO of Telenor, to Telenor, uh, the largest telco of Norway, but also a large telco in in um, in Pakistan, Bangladesh, Myanmar, next to Norway, of course. Um, uh, Sigve Brekke, the CEO, has a long um, you know experience from several parts of the Telenor uh, uh, group. Uh, and also he, you know, Telenor has done a lot of things on, for example, such as, um, uh, you know, children, so childbirth registration uh, in Bangladesh, how to use the mobile phone for that, next to being a big telecom company, of course. And what are we talking about today? Connectivity. I think that's the word. Not only in the sense of, uh, you know, of internet and telcos, but also the connectivity between politicians, between com- companies and between countries in the world we're living in. So I think we should just say, uh, go. Welcome to our podcast, uh, The Future of Business, uh, Børge Brende and uh, Sigve Brekke. Thank you so much for being with us today. We are talking about leadership in connectivity. Uh, and of course, as you heard in, it, in the introduction, there is, I mean, there's a reason why we have invited these two gentlemen um, to talk about um, uh, both the large perspective on connectivity uh, and of course, also getting it down to the industry, to the, the business itself that uh, Telenor is representing. But of course, since we have, uh, yeah, you know, nerdy podcast listeners um, um, listening to us just now, we need to start out with what is connectivity. So I, I think you can both answer that, but I would like to start with you, Sigve, since you are the at least the closest to a one specific company uh, in Telnor. So, so, so how do you define uh, connectivity? Well, connectivity used to be connecting people together. Uh, and uh, in Telnor, we are connecting around 182 million customers every day together. 
with with the uh, the, uh, the through the, the mobile devices, of course. But today and tomorrow, connectivity is much more than that. Uh, connectivity is basically connecting everything together. Uh, and uh, in Telenor, we call the the digital uh, future uh, the the perfect storm. And it is when you get uh, everything being connected through uh, IoT, Internet of Things, and you get that powered by 5G with uh, also the ability to connect devices, connect uh, machines, connect new industries. And on top of that, creating lots of data such that you can uh, then use uh, uh, artificial intelligence AI. So in combination between IoT, uh, 5G and I, uh, AI is going to, to change the way we look at connectivity because it's going to change the way we look at uh, how uh, uh, products are being produced, how services are being delivered, both in the public sector, uh, both in the private sector, but also in the private sector. So, so the connectivity kind of, it's, it's based for what I call this digital revolution that is coming. And what we have learned now in the, the COVID situation, it's what I would call a, a catch-up effect because this was something we have seen over the last few years, but now suddenly everything comes out with a much larger speed and they're kind of accelerating these processes. Uh, and that I think is going to change the way we look at digitalization and connectivity. And that's why it's so important that both private companies like ourselves, but also societies are prepared for this because this can mean new business models and, and actually different ways of doing things, uh, not least, in the area of sustainable business, uh, environment, uh, uh, emission reduction, and so on and so forth. So that's the way I would like to describe connectivity. Thank you so much, and, and Berge, digital revolution. So how does this look like from, from Davos, from, from Geneva? Uh, how, what, what is the connectivity for you, or the connectivity revolution, perhaps? So hopefully the connectivity can help us connect the dots. Uh, because uh, all the challenges that we are faced with also needs uh, more collaboration. I think we also need to work more uh, public-private uh, uh, cooperation to address also the topics that uh, Sigve mentioned, uh, being climate change, but also being the sustainable development goals, getting uh, rid of all extreme poverty by uh, 2030. And... Um, we have seen now through the COVID period uh, a real um, uh, advancement of uh, the transformation we were uh, going through uh, also before um, this uh, pandemic. Uh, we have seen an increase, for example, in the use of internet with 70% um, uh, during uh, the virus. Uh, but this is I think only the tip of the iceberg because we will uh, see uh, more and more connectivity, but we will also see that this connectivity is going to use uh, the data that is uh, more available. Uh, big data is um, the new oxygen uh, in the economy. Uh, those companies or countries that are on top uh, of the new technologies related to the fourth industrial re revolution will also uh, probably uh, be the most successful companies and the most uh, prosperous countries uh, moving um, forward. And we have seen this um, now during the last decade in the change of um, 
who are the most valuable companies in the world. 10 years ago, uh, one or two of the most uh, valuable companies in the world by market cap were tech companies. Today, uh, there is seven out of 10. And uh, you know the world has changed when Netflix is more worth on Wall Street uh, than ExxonMobil that used to be the largest company in the world. Things are changing and connectivity uh, is a core part of it. So who are the connectivity leaders then? Because, I mean, you mentioned some of them, uh, but who would you say? I mean, of course, we, we have some of the largest companies in the world, uh, <clears throat> but who, who, who are leading um, the connectivity, Sigve? Uh, it depends, would be my answer to that. Uh, currently, it's the digital platform players that the Berge is, uh, is mentioning. Uh, but tomorrow, I think you will see new companies emerging. Uh, I think you will see uh, more more co companies that are really focused in certain areas leading. And I also think that that you don't necessarily have to have a global uh, platform to, to take position here. Take a couple of examples. Uh, for example, the health sector. Uh, I think that the health sector can be digitalized with cooperation between national co connectivity players and the health authorities. Uh, take another example. I think transport can be, be, um, be digitalized, uh, again, with cooperation between uh, domestic or, or local players to reduce uh, um, uh, CO, CO2 uh, emissions. Um, and and uh, I think the, it is the ones that are now taking actually the COVID situation and turning the crisis into an opportunity that will come out as winners here. So I think that the, the jury is a little bit out on who is going to be the winners uh, because there are so many areas uh, that you're talking about there. And I think that connectivity for me, both from a business perspective, but also from a sustainability perspective, it's very much around inclusion. Uh, because with connectivity, you can change the financial inclusion in the world, uh, not being only dependent on banks, traditional banks. Uh, you can change the medical sector, not only be dependent on physical hospitals or doctors. So, so it's a medical or health inclusion. It's, uh, it's inclusion when it comes to, uh, to, um, to education. You don't have to have a classroom. You can actually be educated uh, online and so on and so forth. And, and this is the big uh, challenge and, uh, that the world have to use this connectivity to actually go in and attack each and one of the uh, development goals that, that, uh, that the UN has. Uh, and very, a lot of those goals can actually be solved uh, with more digital solutions and connectivity around it. But to do that, Terranor is not big enough. Uh, Norway as a country is definitely not big enough. Uh, you only can do this through collaboration uh, between businesses, uh, smaller big businesses, but even more important, between the private sector and the public sector. That's where we can find solutions in some of these areas. I think you're onto a very important point here. So uh, when the corona hit Norway, the, the, the UN Global Compact Norway, we, we had a slogan called Digital, the New Normal. And I think we are seeing that uh, while we are hoping that um, the, the COVID is not staying on the, the digitalization uh, revolution, we've seen that that actually become permanent, right? Um, but then there are some challenges. I mean, even in the Norwegian context, it, it, at least for some weeks, it, it, it was a bit challenging. But then, of course, everybody adapted. 
But uh, Berger, you you were mentioning like all the the opportunities that are here for social education, just like you said, Sigvi too. But there are uh, isn't there a sort of a class divide here, or or at least an economic divide between countries and also between politicians? What sort of opportunity opportunities they have? You're totally right. Uh, if we're gonna meet uh, the sustainable development goals. Um, we also will uh, need to secure a situation uh, where the whole world is connected, not only 50%. And there is a fact that uh, almost 50% of the global population uh, don't even have access to internet today. And uh, so um, this uh, digital revolution can, um, it, it can also increase uh, the differences in the world if we don't uh, get it right. But the tools that are available um, are very, very uh, strong tools. Uh, look at education. Um, so far, um, it has been a very, very exclusive thing uh, to get, for example, adopt, uh, accepted uh, to Ivy League uh, University in the U.S. or one of the, the big and most advanced universities in in the world, if you go to a classroom, it looks almost the same way it did 50 years ago. If you go to the hospital, you would not uh, even recognize it if you compare it to uh, 50 years ago. But in a very few months now, we have seen that um, by Zoom or by digital interaction, like we're uh, seeing now, uh, you can reach out uh, so much more uh, and it can be a really a great opportunity on education side if uh, also um, we will increase those that have access uh, to the internet, but also access to high quality learning. One of the challenges uh, when we look at, for example, um, the education goal that all children should have the right uh, to education was well, of course, access to education is one thing, but access to quality education that you de facto learn something is even more important. And here you also need to have educated uh, teachers that are able to uh, learn the kids what they need uh, to succeed. And I think this um, uh, digital uh, interaction uh, is a huge uh, tool in that respect. But overall, we, we see that things are changing extremely fast. And also, as Sigve uh, mentioned, companies uh, doing well today um, don't necessarily have to do uh, well in 10 to 20 years. Uh, of course, with the platform economy, it's a little bit like the winner takes it all. So some of the platform companies that are the preferred ones have now become uh, really, really successful. But many of them don't, didn't even exist 20 years ago. So what we have to be aware is that in the new areas of, uh, for example, education, healthcare, also on artificial intelligence, transportation, machine learning, many of these companies don't even exist yet. And uh, they will be very, very consequential uh, companies. And then people say, no, it will not change this fast. Yes, it will change very fast. If you look at uh, the most valuable companies in the world today, for example, the 10 most valuable companies in the world, many of them did not even exist uh, 20 years ago. And why shouldn't that also be the case um, uh, in the future? I think the only thing that's going to change is that the pace is going to increase even more. The notion, the bottom billing has been used, right, for the 
poorest uh, billion of people in the world. But that is also a huge market potential, isn't it? If you manage to develop uh, digital tools that can actually be used on for the, I mean, for the the people with the lowest income, it's not also a huge opportunity. Of course, uh, look at Telenor, uh, the way they have built a market uh, in Pakistan, in Bangladesh, uh, for example. Uh, these two countries, uh, and especially Bangladesh, has no uh, the economy is is really taking off. They're almost becoming a lower middle income country, and not um, defined as a, a LDC, a least developed uh, country anymore. And I think. Part of this is also uh, true connectivity. When younger people get access um, to uh, a phone and know when 5G is coming more and more, at least 4G, and you don't have to rely on 2G, as unfortunately you have to do in many countries, that gives a lot of freedom, access to information, a development opportunity that uh, you didn't have before. You know, maybe you could, if you you could have access to a library and you could go and borrow a book, but in many poor countries, you didn't even have that. Today, you can look it up uh, on your phone, uh, even um, if you're um, in a pretty poor country. But I think if you're going to leapfrog, I think we really need to be very sincere about uh, the fact that those that don't have access to internet, um, half of our half of the global population. There you have to really speed up because uh, if you fall behind there, don't have access to this kind of information, uh, access uh, to education, don't have those skills, I think you um, will uh, lose, uh, lose out. So that's going to be a major thing uh, moving forward. And so give us some insight on the, uh, on the work you're doing in Myanmar and Bangladesh and, and Pakistan because... I have myself followed that very closely when I was in Unis. I've also visited uh, the work in, in, in Bangladesh. And I mean, it's amazing work, everything from health to the birth registration, right? And you're also earning mon- money on it at the same time, I assume. That, that should be the, the good thing that we can actually save the world and have um, a growth at the same time, right? So what's, what's your take on that? Now, it's quite interesting what you say, actually, because a lot of the what you can call uh, the development goals or the sustainability goals <laughs> is possible to achieve and at the same time make, making money. And if you are not able to have a business model around this, you will never get the private sector to really invest in it. And Bangladesh and Pakistan and Myanmar, those three emerging markets where we, uh, where we uh, operate are good examples of that. It shows us that there is, an, if you bring down the cost, there is a willingness and, afford, uh, and affordability to pay for connectivity. And then we have taken that con- connectivity platform uh, and said that everyone in this market deserve a connectivity uh, uh, solution. And that's so we have gone mass market rather than kind of starting from the top of the pyramid and, and only offering services to the, to the kind of middle class or the upper class, going right into the mass market, building a very wide distribution where basically every village has a point of sale. And then on top of that pure connectivity, we are offering financial services on your mobile phone, not through a traditional bank. We are offering medical services on your model, uh, also health services on your mobile phone, not through your hospital. We are offering educational services directly to the local classrooms from the universities. You don't have to move to the cities. So that's why I'm saying that the connectivity platform, if you use that in these markets, 
you can actually uh, solve a lot of the inclusive is inclusive issues as well. Then this very often comes down to politics, and I have to mention that. And that's why it's important what World Economic Forum does when they also are, are putting uh, this as an agenda point with the, the political leaders, because it's coming down to, to regulations. It's coming down to public-private part, partnership uh, objectives that you sit down and figure out how do we actually do this in practice. So I think we, we are an example of uh, a company that is able to go into this uh, difficult markets, making money out of it, uh, with then actually uh, taking services to the bottom of the pyramid uh, and, and making it affordable enough so that people can, can afford buying it. And, but I, I will say it's, it's just the beginning of it and, and taking it down then to very, very basic things. Like, for example, together with UNICEF, we are going physically into the village of, of Pakistan, talking to the newborns that are not registered, uh, getting their first ID number through the app with sending it back to the registration, also the national registration. This, this is also another example of how you can use digital platform to actually solve issues in these markets that are currently not solved. So I'm quite optimistic on their ability to include the hundreds of millions of people that do still don't have that uh, connectivity because it's not about technology. Uh, it is very much about, about finding uh, regulation and frameworks that makes it possible to solve both the the kind of financial issue or uh, financial uh, uh, part of this at the same time that you're solving some of the, um, the uh, development uh, ambitions that we have. So in a way you were talking about, I mean, so we are now moving uh, slowly into most likely one of uh, Berge's favorite topics, the fourth in this industrial revolution. Uh, but um, what you're talking about is basically a political connectivity in, in a way. I mean, make sure that uh, uh, the regulators is uh, making it possible to connect because uh, there is of course a lot of issues related to personal data and and, and other topics um, and what we hear and I'm sure you also have the same experience is that uh, in many contexts the business society have the feeling that they are way ahead of the politicians so, so Berge how do we make sure that the politicians are also part of ensuring, uh, I mean, working together, and we have seen, uh, what should we say, diplomatically slightly uh, uh, challenging situation the last uh, couple of years, perhaps, in the international community. So, so, so how do you ensure political connectivity, uh, if, if I can use that term, in order to ensure digital connectivity? No, it's a, it's a very good uh, question, and I think your observations are also um, correct. Uh, behind uh, the polarization that we're seeing uh, geopolitically today, I think one of the driving factors is also the wish uh, to be on top of the new technologies. Many uh, political leaders have seen that those countries that uh, are most successful uh, when it comes to the Internet of Things, big data, artificial intelligence, uh, also... Um, use and implementation of these uh, new technologies will come out of this century as uh, the most uh, successful, prosperous, uh, influential uh, 
um, countries. So there is also a technology competition out there. And especially, I think we see it between the G2 uh, being the US and China. Um, what I hope, though, is that uh, through cooperation, I think we can achieve uh, much more. But we also have to establish a level playing field. And the politicians also and the, the leaders also have another um, important role is to secure uh, competition in the market. I also hope that we can agree uh, on some basic rules when it comes to privacy, also the rights uh, of the customers. Here, I think the European Union uh, has uh, played an important role uh, in setting uh, some uh, standards because we believe in uh, rule of law and uh, not uh, laissez-faire. I'm very optimistic when it comes to the new uh, technologies, also as a prerequisite for reaching the sustainable uh, development goals. Um, I think the, uh, there's waiting another big uh, catastrophe uh, behind the next corner if we don't act together after the pandemic, that is climate change. But the only way to solve climate change is also to work with technologies. We need technological breakthroughs uh, to make sure that we um, have access to energy, but um, we, at the same time, will need to break um, this negative circle that you use more energy and then you have more emissions. Uh, you, you have to... Um, kind of uh, um, uh, see uh, how uh, you with new uh, technologies can development uh, develop and transfer uh, the energy field. So these are uh, one of many examples. So it brings us really to the topic then and perhaps you could say a couple of words on the fourth uh, industrial revolution and how this is connected to the the sustain, uh, sustainable uh, development goals. Um, I mean, we have already been touching the topic, obviously, for <laughs> several minutes now, but um, just for the listener that perhaps doesn't know the, the concept of the fourth uh, um, industrial revolution and, and how, yeah, how you define it in a way. Oh, so um, the fourth industrial revolution uh, is a way of describing uh, the new technology uh, reality uh, that we have uh, embarked on. Uh, I think uh, here uh, also we, as I mentioned before, we only seen uh, the tip uh, of uh, the iceberg. Uh, we've seen it in the whole transportation sector, uh, of course now um, on the vehicle uh, side, uh, we will have autonomous uh, vehicles uh, in the future. Uh, we also see that there will be um, fueled uh, in a different way. But we also know that um, with the new technologies, it's also going to create jobs because one of the big challenges we are faced with is that uh, we have a youth bulge. In many countries, uh, especially developing countries, 50% uh, of the population uh, is under 25 years. And what kind of skills and jobs do they need? If you look at something that uh, I know Sigwin knows really well is the 5G piece. We have uh, calculated that um, the implementation of 5G is much more effective way of then uh, using uh, mobiles. Uh, the speed is much faster. You can have access um, in a different way. will create extra 
global growth of uh, at least 13 uh, trillion US dollars, create uh, 30 million new uh, jobs. So this is only one of the examples of what we see of job growth uh, moving forward. If you then start to look at uh, uh, artificial intelligence, if you look at uh, how this will transfer and uh, transform uh, the way we, we produce um, uh, in the future, uh, it is going to create a lot of opportunities too. We don't exactly know how, but we know it's going to happen. And here, I think if you're going to uh, make sure that these new technologies work in the interest of mankind, we also have to have some rules. And here, I think the UN, uh, but also uh, governmental leaders together with companies should set um, some uh, standards. Um, we know that, for example, access to uh, data uh, is, uh, is core. Um, also, uh, how much data you have accessible. But, for example, in the health sector, uh, should, for example, a government have access and companies have access to all hate, uh, health data? Or are you going to set some standards uh, on this? And I, I'm in favor uh, of the latter. Look at 4IR, for example, we initiated uh, at the World Economic Forum, uh, a discussion about how are we going to use artificial intelligence in children's toys. I think there we need to be very, very careful. Of course, you can uh, create very intelligent uh, uh, toys, but there also has, uh, there are ethical sides of this. And these are just small examples. And we're going to have a lot of them. Today is a little bit of Wild West out there. It's a com technology competition. And it's like... Um, uh, there is, is a lack of agreed uh, rules, and I think that is uh, not uh, a positive development. So we have to get together and, and create those uh, rules of the games. I think we, I mean, this is um, uh, seen from you in Global Compact, of course, as well, and the, and the UN, and, and I think this is the center of the, uh, one of the issues, right? How do we make sure that uh, we have standards, especially then for multi-country companies as well that are you know we need to have the same standards all over the place i guess um but i want to continue a bit to challenge you Sigve. i don't know how much you can share with us but it would be interesting to hear what are the most exciting technologies and and sort of new products you're having in pipeline because you said very clearly it's possible to earn money on the sdgs and the the, the paris agreement basically uh, and we uh, certainly do believe that we need to use the, the economical motivation or mus muscle, if you want, to speed up um, the sustainable and green shift. So, so can you share with us some, uh, because we heard about birth registration on mobile, but looking at it, it's not, you know, you know it's, it's old technology, isn't it? Using the, the mobile, but just in a new way. But do you have, what are the, what are the way forward for Telenor in, in this area? Yeah, first just uh, to say that I echo everything that Berge said on the fourth industrial revolution. That's exactly what I call the perfect storm. And it's when these three technologies come together. Uh, Internet of Things, 5G and AI. Uh, and that's going to revolutionize everything we today think about, in my view, when it comes to the production of, of products and services. So this is a very open uh, opportunity and, and uh, here the government have kind of two roles, uh, or the politicians have two roles. One, uh, their role to push. 
Uh, and the, the governments and the politicians need to, to take this opportunity to digitalize the public sector. And I'm worried about their, uh, that they are not doing that, that they are losing out. Uh, at the same time, they need to, to harmonize uh, uh, regulations. It's data privacy regulations, but it's much more than that. It's ethical issues, for example, in AI. Well, how far do you let the machines actually drive developments? And when do you set, set the, the, uh, the limits to it? Uh, and, and I'm worried that too much of the discussion today is a, a between the US and China on, on where, where are the network being produced uh, uh, and the security around that. And we are losing out on this, this uh, tremendous technology development that we currently see. Uh, and the governments are behind all that. Then to your question, uh, the, the product and services that we are looking at. First, we are looking at how we can be a part of uh, bringing digital solutions into other industries to help them to reduce uh, their uh, uh, carbon uh, emission. Uh, and we will have bigger effect actually on doing that than to, to, to only clean up our own base. And we see that in the transport sector, there's a lot we can do uh, to do that. In the, uh, the energy producing sector, being oil or other energy uh, productions, in the maritime sectors, uh, and there are certain areas in where the countries where we operate, where we think that digital solutions are quite significant, they can contribute to, to, to uh, the, the climate ambition. And even, even in this COVID situation, when people have stopped traveling basically, you see that the, the overall emission is not reduced that much. So it's not enough to just stop flying. We have to start attacking some of the real pol uh, polluters. And I think that digital solution can be an answer of that. And we, have, we, we want to get into to, to, uh, partnership on that. The other issue is on the 5G. Because as Berea said, you don't think about 5G the same way you thought about from 2 to 3G and 3 to 4G. That was kind of an evolutionary upgrade of your network. 5G is something completely different because 5G allows you to go into much more specific business models in the, the, the business segment, not only to give faster speed to, to, to the, the consumers. So, for example, we are now working together with a Norwegian company, Yara, uh, to... to built the first fully automatic uh, vessel uh, that's which cr crossing the Oslofjord uh, that can take away all the big trucks that are driving around the Oslofjord. It's a, a full automatic experience, both uh, to, to put the trucks on and also to take them off. And, and the whole, whole exercise is going to be without people. That's an example. Of, uh, and we need 5G here because you need dedicated slots in your network to be able to do that. Another example is that we are working with the salmon industry to see can we take the, the, the salmon farm way out in the sea where the water is much colder, much deeper, less polluted, uh, and then manage that um, farm completely uh, automatic. So 5G enables you into new type of business models, and that is where the growth is going to come, not on just giving more speed uh, and more data to, to the consumers. And then you have what I talked about in the more emerging markets where you can use a network connectivity and to put all other services on top of that because there is no business model to build physical banks in Bangladesh, more banks. You have to do it digitally. 
There is no money to build hospitals in every village. You have to do it digitally. There is, there is no money to build a lot of schools. You have to do it digitally. And, this, uh, and in this market, you can leapfrog 20 years development in the Western world. Look at Myanmar. We went into Myanmar six years ago. Uh, eight, nine percent penetration, also meaning pe people's access to any form, form of communication. It was nine, uh, eight, nine percent. Today, more than 60 percent of the, the uh, population in Myanmar have access to advanced data services. Think about what that have done with opening up that country and, and with kind of rapidly developing that country. So, so I'm very excited about this because it's a potential of combining good business models with doing goods for the societies. That's, uh, I mean, so you, to wrap it up in a way though, when you talk about the future of business or even the industrial revolution from the fourth industrial revolution from Telenor, we are looking at uh, artificial intelligence, internet of things, and the 5G as as really important uh, areas. Um, so Brenda, how are you engaging both states and, and uh and uh, business leaders on these topics? Because uh, I know that you have uh, a 5G coalition network, for example, that you're working on. So, uh, and of course, you also have the, the global network of mobile actors, the GSMA that you are working on, Sylvia. But how, how does it look like? Because it, these are highly uh, technological and complex things, right? And I'm sure some of the li listeners have even never heard about Internet of Things and what it really means. So, so how do you, you know, go ahead with these so big questions at the, at the World Economic Forum? So I think more and more um, governmental leaders also do understand uh, how significant these new technologies uh, are. But, you know, when you're living in the middle of it, it's, it's hard to put it in a real historical context. But... Uh, for me, uh, broadband uh, is the electricity of the 21st century. We know how transformative electricity was uh, in the 20th century. What we're faced with now uh, is the fourth industrial revolution. So we're embarking uh, into uncharted territory, and we're just seeing now uh, the huge impact uh, um, it will have. And that's also why uh, big countries are now allocating so much money uh, in this sector. Just this summer, China decided to allocate additionally 1.2 trillion US dollars to 5G and technologies uh, related uh, to this um, area. Uh, and uh, what we will have to make sure is that we do, even in the polarized world, have some ways of collaborating because it has been a win-win because some countries have done better in one area, some countries have done better in others, and then we have been buying this technology uh, from each other. So what we hope is that we will not see kind of a new Berlin wall uh, being established uh, in the technology um, field. I don't think uh, anyone will come out as uh, winners there. But at the same time, the COVID has shown us that um, we will see more diversity. Uh, if two countries in the world are producing 70-80% of all the semiconductors, I think this is something that we will see uh, change in the future. I think also on the battery side, we will see more countries uh, coming up 
with this. But what I really also like is that, uh, like Telenor, other companies that uh, also uh, are very progressive, they come together. So the private sector is also willing to set some standards and contribute in this context. And this is kind of the modus operandi of the World Economic Forum. We try to establish uh, standards through our network of uh, the fourth industrial revolution. We have our main uh, center in San Francisco, but now we have 10 affiliated centers uh, all uh, over the world. We will by next year have 20 of them. And what we're trying to look at is how do we make sure that these technologies also contribute to a better world and how can we uh, make sure that they contribute uh, to getting us closer to the sustainable development goals. Just look at blockchain. Steve mentioned earlier how this is going to revolutionize uh, finance and, and banking. Before you had to have a bank account, you have to uh, be connected uh, in a different way. Today you can wire money uh, through uh, your mobiles. This also makes it easier for poor people in developing countries to be integrated in the economy. If you don't have a bank account, uh, it is really, really hard for you uh, to also then start a company and etc. So the power of these new technologies can also empower uh, people uh, that uh, are less fortunate than in uh, the developed uh, countries. But if we don't get it right, uh, it can also be very, very uh, counterproductive. Of course, we have no seen superpowers in the private sector technology companies. Uh, we have had discussions, though, on taxation related to this. We also have discussions on uh, competition. We welcome all these discussions because um, we will need to uh, get this uh, right uh, moving uh, forward. I think the European Union uh, also has seen in their big green deal, making sure that Europe is climate neutral by 2050. It says in the paper on the new green deal, it says that um, the digital uh, piece will enable us uh, to reach uh, the um, sustainable development goals, but also being climate neutral by 2050. And just look the way we uh, now uh, communicate with each other. Uh, before it was unthinkable if you didn't travel and, and we met physically. Uh, today, uh, we see that transportation is being revolutionized uh, by uh, this way uh, of interaction. This is just one example. And uh, we, of course, saw that climate uh, emissions fell quite dramatically during COVID. Of course, this is not the solution um, uh, to the problem, uh, but it also shows that we have to think out of the box and we have to change some of our behaviors and also new, use now the technologies because um, if we think COVID is bad, climate change uh, is terrible. I think that is a good summary of that situation. I mean, while COVID just came, or like the the the, the way I'm thinking about the, the the climate crisis is sort of a, a you know a, we are it's, it's a train well, um, accident that is coming to us in very slow motion, right? So, and and we still don't get it really, do we? Um, I what what you I just wanted to comment quickly on what you said, uh, Berge, because um, uh, talking of centers globally um, and, and locally, regionally. Sounds like an area where you and Global Compact and the World Economic Forum should look into cooperation. Global Compact having um, local networks in 70 countries by now, expanding heavily in the last three years. We have open offices in 
Norway, uh, Sweden and Finland as an example, just the last year. Uh, I also do think that with 11,000 companies, we have uh, an e increased a lot of members. So we are 11,000 companies and 3,000 organizations globally. In the region context, we have moved from 118 to 210 companies in just 11 months. There is a lot of interest. Telnor is, of course, one of our largest Norwegian members uh, after Equinor uh, and the oil fund. Uh, so I think there is a lot of potential here where it would be really interesting to have the opportunity to discuss this further with your colleagues in the World Economic Forum and, then of course, with our headquarters in, uh, in New York. Done deal. Let's pick up that after, after this podcast. Um, but we are actually getting closer to an end. So you now get uh, two, three minutes each to, to wrap up. So Sigur, why don't you, you start? So if there is anything you want, to, you want to say to our listeners, you now have the, the opportunity to do so. I, I want to say that to meet both the digital or the fourth revolution uh, opportunity or challenge, but also the, uh, the, uh, the uh, climate uh, challenge, none of us are big enough. No companies are big enough. No country is big enough. We have to do this in, the collabor in collaboration. And that's kind of the core of what World Economic Forum is doing, bringing leaders together. And I think that that has never been more important uh, with the, to, to solve some of those uh, big, big uh, issues that we have going forward. Uh, the second point I want to make is that all of these issues that we have discussed are both challenges, but also opportunities. And we should always think about it also as opportunities, uh, because uh, that is how we can uh, uh, build kind of... Uh, put new values on, on the way we are, are both producing uh, products and, and services, but also the way we are interacting with ourselves. Big opportunities. Thanks, uh, Berke. Go ahead. So to build on uh, that, um, I think companies that want to be successful in uh, the future also uh, will have to um, then recruit uh, the best of talent and uh, the best talent want uh, to work for companies that are uh, also about more than profit. Of course, all companies have to be profitable to invest in the future and all this. So I'm very in favor of uh, profitable companies, but I think uh, you also expect companies uh, to do well when it comes to taking broader responsibilities, of course, for their employees, uh, diversity, inclusion, but also uh, for the local community that they're operating in, but also uh, to show leadership uh, globally uh, on uh, this issue. So I think um, private sector is 70-80% of the global uh, GDP, and we cannot reach uh, the sustainable development goals without also no mobilizing full-fledged the private sector, use the best business models from the private sector, making sure that we have uh, stakeholder capitalism, that companies are uh, also uh, made more and more responsible uh, for uh, what you're uh, in uh, these important um, uh, fields, and that we also make sure that the new technologies that um, have such a huge potential that uh, they're not moving into a George Orwell uh, situation, 1984, but they're used to reach all um, 
and used to solve uh, the challenges that we're faced with and that we don't see the technologies at the core of a polarization and you have a, like a technology competition that is not uh, productive. Of course, there will always be competition between companies and nations. I don't fear that, but uh, we don't want to have a situation where we go into a Cold War situation when it comes to technology. So uh, a lot of things uh, to deal with uh, moving um, forward, but I strongly believe in the public-private uh, cooperation uh, methodology uh, to deal uh, with some of the most pressing issues. Thank you so much to both uh, of you. I just want to end it with a quote actually from uh, Burge. He said that uh, broadband is a new electricity of our time. I guess that would be quite good for Telenor going forward. And uh, I think that we are looking into very exciting times with regard to the future of business. Thank you so much, uh, Berge Brende, the, the president of the World Economic Forum, and Sigve Brekke, the, the CEO of Telenor, for coming today. My name is Kim Gabrieli. I'm the CEO of UN Global Compact Norway. Thank you very much.